Mark chapter 1 is where we are today. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Mark chapter 1, 40 through 45. So this is the last sermon on chapter 1. So we've, we've made it, and uh, we have 15 chapters to go, God willing. So we'll see how, how long this takes. But it's, it's been, uh, I, I, I know I've learned a lot just studying Mark and, and being able to go through here. So um, and today's no exception. So this is chapter 1, verse 40. Let's pray, and, and then we'll read the, the six verses there. Father, we pray now for your grace. Holy Spirit, help us illuminate our eyes, illuminate our hearts. Give us grace to, to behold Christ here. We thank you that, that we, uh, we ourselves are uh, certainly lepers spiritually. And so we thank you for this insight into Christ's response to this. Lord, help us in our daily lives. I pray that you would draw us closer to you through this. Convict those who are not yours. We pray that today would be the day of salvation for those who are not saved and, and for those who are. Encourage us, Lord, help us. And thank you especially for Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, so chapter 1, uh, verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be clean. Be cleansed. Excuse me. Verse 42. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. And so this is still a response to the things that Christ has done, uh, going all the way back to the synagogue. That's where he starts when he exercises the demon from a man, and then he, he heals Peter's mom-in-law, and then everybody comes to the door where, where, where he is staying, and he heals everybody, casts out demons. And then, of course, remember last week we saw that he was away praying and the disciples come hunting him down and saying, everybody's looking for you. And he says, "Okay, that's great, but we're going to another place because I came to preach the gospel, not just to heal people. But along the way, you see that he's still dealing with people who hear about him. And so they come and they're they're uh, naturally right. They're coming and they're 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 wanting to be healed. And so um, I actually have three points here. On this sermon today, so number one, this shows us what we'll see today is number one, how to apply ourselves to Christ. In other words, how to come to Christ, how to respond to Christ coming to in our area, um, whenever he's in our vicinity, which for us is all the time, because he's, he's he's at the right hand of the Father, but his spirit is everywhere. Okay, so uh, how to apply ourselves to Christ. Number two, what to expect from Christ. So we're going to see that what to expect from Christ, and then number three, the Messiah is is further revealed. So we're going to see um, a, a, a greater opening up of this idea that Christ is the Messiah and he, he is proclaiming that in a certain way. So, uh, but, but number one, how to apply ourselves to Christ. Now we see this in this man who is a leper. Now, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of a leper. Usually it's some kind of ferocious skin disease, you know, and they have, they have their skin falling off, dripping off their bones, and it's, it's pretty horrific. And supposedly if you go to a leper colony, it's really, it smells horrific, smells bad. Um, usually, again, I don't know if that's the idea that you have in your mind. I know that's what comes to my mind. Um, however, what's, what's uh, a little bit of an anti-climatic fact is that leprosy in the Bible actually covers a wide range of, of things that's, that's 
not typically what we consider leprosy in contemporary society. So, for instance, this is you can find this in Leviticus 13 and 14. Um, but anyone who would have a case of boils, burns, itches, ringworms, or scalp conditions, that would be considered leprosy. Okay. The problem here, the main problem with leprosy. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, all of these things, in a sense, I'm looking at them. Maybe not burns, but a lot of these things are still infectious. So there is that idea, right? And it is to say there could have been the leprosy in the contemporary way that we think of it where your skin's falling off uh, where you don't feel anything that that is possible right but i'm just saying it's a bigger category than what we usually consider it so it's not to say this man has his skin dripping off his flesh necessarily maybe maybe not however what we do know for a fact about lepers is that they were considered unclean that is a fact they are considered unclean in fact if you go to leviticus 13 45 it's a very uh it is a very pitiful existence if you if you have leprosy there's there's no doubt in in uh in that fact so so leviticus um 13:45 Leviticus 13:45 you see this this case of leprosy um Okay, look at this. So let's start in 44. He is a leprous man, he is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His infection is on his head. Um that was the end of that, that, that part about the scalp. So, uh, verse 45, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So it's it's no joke. You know, if you are considered a leper, if the priest looks at you and says, "Okay, hey man, you got you got this thing," it is a miserable existence. Um, and and the, the the I guess the rabbis, the priests, they had this saying that it is as difficult to heal a leper as it is for someone to raise the dead. So that's some of the backdrop, right? So when you're looking at a leper, in their eyes, it's like, hey man, you're not getting healed from this. You're, you're basically condemned to live in existence outside. Can you imagine your, your, you know, your job, your family, uh, your friends, even the synagogue? All of these things are now cut off to you. you there, there's no approaching any of these people anymore. You have to go around saying unclean. Here's the spiritual aspect of this, though. Um, There is a sense in which if you see what he says, now notice what this leper says. When he sees Jesus, he comes to Jesus, he beseeches him, and he falls on his knees before him. So the man is in a desperate condition. We're going to see this again with the the rich young ruler who actually does something very similar. He comes running up to Christ, he falls down, he calls Christ Lord, or a good teacher, he calls Christ a good teacher. He says all the right things, he does all the right things. The leper is doing the same thing, right? So he comes to Jesus, he beseeches him, he falls on his knees before him and then he says this if you are willing you can make me clean now why would Christ not be willing to make him clean notice though he does have faith in what Christ can do that's the astonishing thing he knows hey you can heal me I know you can but are you willing to heal me now the reason he's not quite certain that Christ is willing to heal him is because he feels unworthy He doesn't feel worthy enough to be cleansed because the reason when it comes to leprosy, the reason it was considered such a a hideous disease was because they saw it as God's judgment against the person for slander. And slander in that community, as it should be in every community, was considered one of the worst offenses that you could ever commit. And so whenever somebody had leprosy, they saw it as a mark of disfavor from God upon the person. So think about this guy's state, right? So he comes to Christ and he says, Christ, I don't know if you're willing to heal me because I don't deserve to be healed. You know, this is God's judgment against me. 
And I don't know if, if I, and he's, I mean, basically saying, right, I'm not worthy enough to be healed. But, but if you're willing, you can do it. So he has faith in the Messiah. He knows he can. And what's nice about this is, you know, going back to the number one, point number one, is how to apply ourselves to Christ. You know, this in a sense, spiritually speaking, is all of us, right? Because if you think about it, now, I'm not saying this um, in the sense of, you know, we're not, we're, not, we're not trying to extend this to make this about you and I necessarily, but it is to say, spiritually speaking, is this not the condition that all of us are in? Think about it. So because of sin, what are we? We're unclean. We're cut off from the, certainly from God. We're cut off from everything about God. We are cut off, completely cut off. Our sin, because God is holy, because God is righteous, because God is good, we cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. The Bible says that God's eyes are too pure to look upon evil. He cannot have favor towards anybody who is unclean. And what the Bible talks about when it describes human beings, you find that every human being from the time they're in their mother's womb, like David says, in sin my mother conceived me. From the time I came out of my mom's womb, I go astray, I'm speaking lies, I'm corrupt. Nobody has to teach me, my children, you, your children, how to be evil. We're good at that. From the time we come out, no one has to teach us how to be selfish, right? No one, no one has to teach us how to say mine. No one has to teach us how to uh, you know, fight off our brother from, from, from the spoils. You know, we're good at that. We do that all the time. That's how we were when we were growing up. That's how we still are. We are unclean. And so we are in a situation spiritually much like this leper. We are cut off from the things of God. We have no access to the things of God. Here comes Christ, though. And when Christ comes, notice this leper is recognizing his unworthiness. That's the thing right there. See, when Christ comes and he talks about, hey, I did not come for the righteous, but I came for the unrighteous. He's not saying there's some righteous people and some unrighteous people. And he just came. What he's saying is that in their eyes... They think they're good. They think they're righteous. They think they don't need it. He says, I didn't come for that person. Because ultimately, everybody needs the Savior. It's a matter of not whether they realize that, whether they recognize that. Another thing, remember, Christ says, I didn't come for those who are healthy, those who are well. Right? The physician came for those who are sick, spiritually. Now, we're all sick spiritually, but it's a matter of, do I recognize that or not? This man recognizes that about his physical condition. He goes to the right man. He has the right aspect, the right idea about Christ. Christ, you can heal me. Spiritually, we we have to do the same thing. We go to Christ. Christ, you can heal me if you're willing. You can take away this sin. You can cleanse me of all my sin. Like we started out the whole service today in Isaiah 6. Where you have that picture of the cherubim going and taking some coal and applying it to Isaiah's mouth, his lips. That's... that's, uh, the, 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 the idea there is the atonement. His sins are covered up. That's what we need. Okay, So you see that here. So how to apply ourselves to Christ. Number two, what to expect from Christ. You see this in verse 41. Christ moved with compassion. Does anybody have any other word there besides compassion? Pity. pity. Moved with pity. Moved with compassion. Very unusual situation here because and I, I, I can never figure this out uh, the, the word in, in the Greek is, is actually moved with indignation with rage with fury in fact the word here is the strongest expression of anger and fury that you can find in the Greek language okay now think about this so you're looking okay so moved with fury 
moved with anger. And I'm not making this up. I mean, you guys go fact check me all you want. This is a fact, okay? But moved with indignation, okay? It's, it's, the, uh, it's the same. It's the word that, that you would use. Um, okay, if you turn to John, let me give you an example of this. Because this happens again. The same word. John chapter 11, verse 33. John chapter 11. Now, what's going on in this passage right here is Lazarus, Jesus' friend, has just died. Okay, chapter 11, verse 33. Christ knows that He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows that. He tells His disciples that. Remember, He says, Lazarus is asleep. And they're like, well, if He's asleep, we don't have to go because He'll wake up. He says, no, you guys, He's dead. They're like, oh. And so he says, okay, we're going, to go to, we're going to go over here. We're going to raise him from the dead. You're going to see this work. So he knows he's going to heal him. He's going to raise him from the dead. Okay, when you read this, though, look at verses 33 through 38. So when Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping, who does he see weeping? He sees Mary. He sees everybody weeping because of Lazarus. Um, when Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was, right here, deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Deeply moved in spirit. Same word, same idea. He was deeply moved in spirit. He was furious. He was angry. He had indignation. And said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? And here it is again in verse 38. Same phrase. So Jesus, again being deeply moved within. It's the same Structure there came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it, etc. Okay, what is going on here? Why is Christ furious, indignation, angry? These 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 phrases about Christ when he's encountering the death of Lazarus. You go back to this leper. He encounters this leper. He's furious. He's filled with indignation. He's filled with, and it's, I mean, compassion. Yes. And I think that's the the liberty of the translators helping us out what's going on there. That is what they're doing. Christ, as a response to the ravages of what's going on with this leper, is moved with compassion. Christ, as a response of what has happened to Lazarus and people's response to death. Why does Christ weep? Think about that. Christ knows He's going to turn around and say, Lazarus, rise. Lazarus is going to rise. And Christ knows that. So knowing that, why is he weeping? Right? He knows he's going to raise him from the dead. What moves him to weep? It's the condition of death and disease and evil and all these, these, these ferocious things that come into this world because of sin. And what's beautiful about this is that Christ is not a refrigerator. Christ is not an emotional icy kind of guy, right? He is somebody who responds with compassion, responds with even indignation. This is righteous anger. That's what this is. Righteous anger against the ravages of evil, the ravages of sin, indignation. Why? Death, disease, because this is, in a sense, a distortion of the creation. Remember, after God makes everything, He says it's very good. But once sin enters into the world because of God's judgment against that sin, death comes into the world, Corruption comes in the world, disease, evil, all these things, which kind of goes back a long time ago. We were talking about it makes no sense for people to be angry at God whenever evil things happen, right? The reason evil things happen is because of us, because of our sin. The reason leprosy, the reason all these things, we are the, the, the agents, the catalysts for why evil things happen because of our sin. It's God's judgment against sin. 
So Christ, when He comes, He's responding to this. this and, and, and really, remember what Christ is doing. In fact, we'll see this here, but we've already seen Him cast out demons. We've, we've seen Him do a lot of exorcisms. And He's establishing the fact that He is the King of this, of this earth. And so as he goes around healing people, exercising people of demons, he's establishing, he's establishing whose earth this is, whose sphere this is. Because the demonic has, in a sense, corrupted and contaminated so much, and now Christ is coming in and it's in the process of being restored to the new heavens and new earth. Okay, So that's what we're seeing here. So Christ responds. So, um, and praise God, you know, that he's... he's, he's he, I, I, I just think it's great that you have a Savior, you have a Christ... Like it says in Hebrews, and we can go all day in Hebrews where it's talking about we have a high priest who sympathizes with what we're going through. He understands. He's filled with compassion. He has been here on earth and he has been tempted in every way we've been tempted, yet he's without sin. But we have a we don't have a we don't have a, a savior who is like, you know, I, I just don't I don't have any idea what you're talking about, but okay, yeah. We have a savior who knows, who see who has seen with his own eyes the ravages of death. The, the pain of death, the alienation of disease. This man who is on the outskirts, you know, and I know this sounds like a kind of like a liberal Christian. I mean, it's like filled with gushy Jesus, you know. This is a fact, though. You have a Christ who sympathizes and who is filled with compassion for his people. And we're seeing that demonstrated right here. Okay. Um, he comes to Jesus. He beseeches Jesus. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him. Oops. Not supposed to touch a leper. What happens if you touch a leper? You become unclean. So here's what's happening, right? So the leper who is outside the camp, the leper who is alienated, the leper who is not allowed inside the community, comes to Jesus. First of all, he that that was quite audacious in itself. The leper was supposed to stay 50 feet away from anybody. He comes up to Jesus, close enough for Jesus to lay his hand on him. Jesus now touches him. Remember what the, uh, the, the rabbis thought about healing leprosy. Only God can heal leprosy. That was their big saying. The rabbis said, only, only God can heal a leper. Only God can raise the dead. Well, lo and behold, before you know it, he touches him. He says, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately, verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Immediately. And this is where we're getting into the fact that Christ is the Messiah. Okay, especially as we're seeing this. Now, when we say Messiah, there's a lot in that. It's a loaded word, obviously, but but Christ is the anointed one. Christ is the one who has come to um, to deliver to deliver people from their sins. And yet, at the same time, how are we to know that this is the Messiah? Now I'll show you. Yeah, look at look at verse 43. So he sternly warns him. This is actually another. It's similar to the last phrase that we, we, we had. He sternly warns him that um, uh, another word for this, another phrase for this is uh, to flare the nostrils. So it's like a bull whenever a bull is, is angry or upset, I guess his nostrils flare and that's how you know he's, he's angry. So this is, you'll see this word a lot. This is, this is, uh, that's what that word means. So he's, he's, he's very serious about this. Uh, he warns him and immediately sends him away. Uh, what does he warn him about? Verse 44, and he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer your cleansing, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, and here it is, as a testimony to them. As a testimony to them. Now here's a few things, okay? So number one, think about this. Why is he so upset? Why is he sternly warning him? Why is he, um, again, his, his nostrils are flaring. Most commentators, I think this is probably right. I don't see any other way 
to not see this really is, is because he foresaw that this man is going to go out and tell everybody anyways. We saw this last week. Now what's interesting is that when he tells the demons not to say anything, they don't say anything. When he tells this man, hey, don't say anything, he goes out and he tells everybody. Um, and so what's the problem with this is this. There's two problems. Number one is it's going to, this is going to create, it's going to be the, the, the beginning of official opposition. So for the next five scenes all the way through uh, Mark chapter 3 verse 6. So this entire next chapter until Mark chapter 3 verse 6, you're going to have episode after episode after episode of Christ encountering official opposition from the from from the priests and the Pharisees and the scribes things like that. So that's number 1. So Christ in a sense because of this man and because of others going out his he's starting to gain some popularity, but he's also gaining some resentment and some hostility. But that's the other thing. So it's the, it's the, uh, it's the overwhelming popularity that, that is also the problem. Because if you look in verse 45, but he went out and began to proclaim it freely, this leper, and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. Um, and we'll end with that part. But look at verse 44. Okay, so when he says as a testimony to them... Does anyone have a testimony against them? As a testimony against them. So think about it. So he heals the leper, right? He heals the leper. And he says, okay, now I want you to go to the priests and I want you to show them what has happened. Why does he want them to show them what has happened? As a testimony against them. This word comes up in two other places in the Gospel of Mark. Number one, it's in Mark chapter 6, verse 11, when Christ says, as a testimony, He sends out His disciples and He says, if they refuse you, if they don't listen to you, as a testimony against them, shake the dust off your feet and move on. As a testimony against them. The second part is whenever He's talking about His disciples in chapter 13, verse 9, whenever they're handed over to the governors and the kings... Because they're disciples of Christ, he says, when you go before them, you're going to speak on my behalf as a testimony against them. So think about what he's saying here. It's similar, if you turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. Remember John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist is in jail at this point in Matthew chapter 11. And at this point, Mark 2, coincidentally. Uh, Chapter 11... Verse 1, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Because he's expecting Jesus to bust him out of jail, to come with judgment. He's he's like, are you the guy? I I think you're the guy, but are are you the guy? I just want to make sure. Verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you see, what you hear and see. Verse 5, The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, what's he saying? He's assuming that whenever, because you notice he's quoting here from Isaiah 35. So this is a prophecy about the Messiah in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter verse thirty or chapter thirty five. Okay, and so John the Baptist, knowing this prophecy about the Messiah, what Jesus is saying is, go to John and tell them the lepers are being healed, the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised up, the poor are having the gospel preached. When they go and tell John, the assumption is what John's like. Okay, this is the Messiah because this is what the Messiah is going to do when he comes. 
So when he tells the leper, go to the priest and show them as a testimony to them or as a testimony against them, what's the testimony? That the Messiah has come. He's here. Just like we've seen this whole gospel, it's been about the kingdom of God is at hand, has come. So don't be foolish and reject. And that's what he's saying, right? Don't be, don't be foolish and reject the Messiah. He's clearly here. So the leper, assumingly, he eventually goes and, and uh, the priest is the one who would declare him to be uh, clean. And he gives them as that testimony against them. Now, uh, verse 45, I want to end with this. And, and to me, this is probably um, you know, one of the more astonishing things about this whole passage here. Okay, So verse 45, you see but, right? The word but there starts out, but he went out. So he was supposed to do this, but he didn't. He went out and did this. Okay, um, But when he begins to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas... Here's, here's the ironic thing about this whole, this, this whole thing. Okay? When you're talking about substitutionary atonement, okay, that is a clever, fancy word for Christ coming and taking our place on the cross to deliver us from our sins by taking on sins on our behalf. So in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So Christ who knew no sin, perfect in every way, goes to the cross, takes on sin on our behalf so that we who are sinners can be delivered from our sins, so that our sins can be cleansed, so that we can have the place that Christ Himself has when it comes to God. We are seen as God's people today. God sees us as righteous as Christ Himself is. And you're like, well, that, how is that? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not righteous, right? That's the point. Christ is our substitute. So He takes our place. Christ was not a sinner, and yet He takes on our sin. He's judged for our sin. He pays for our sins. So He is our substitution. He... He, he substitutes us or substitutes Himself in our place so that He takes our punishment and in the process we are substituted in the sense of now we have God's righteousness. We are seen as though we have never sinned. We are seen as holy, blameless, beyond reproach. Okay, Think about what this is saying right here. And there's no doubt, I'm sure, Mark, this is very intentional. Okay, The leper who is alienated, the leper who is excluded from society, the leper who cannot enter any city... Because he goes to Christ, and because Christ heals this man, what happens is, is as a response, or as a result, Christ can no longer enter the city. Christ is now the alienated one. Christ is no longer able to enter into the city. Christ is now excluded. He's staying out in unpopulated areas. In other words, the leper and Christ have traded places. The leper is now clean. He can enter back into society. He can go see his family again. He can go to the synagogues again. He can do everything that he normally had done, whereas Christ cannot. It's amazing. Substitutionary atonement. In a sense, it's a glance of what's going to happen. Okay, And there's no doubt, like I said, that Mark is, is, is telling us something when he's emphasizing he stayed out in unpopulated areas. He could no longer publicly enter a city. It's exactly how the leper was. Um, and so, ultimately, it comes down to this. We, as God's people now, right, we are God's people because of what Christ has done for us. Christ heals this man at a certain cost. Christ has healed us at a, at a, at a, at a bigger cost by suffering the pains and the torments of hell in our place so that as His people, we'll never experience that, we'll never suffer that. 
We see that we saw that in, uh, today in First Peter, where where Peter talks about how we've been we've been redeemed not by silver, not by gold. It's not like somebody paid money to God, but we've been saved. We've been delivered by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we go through this, we're going to see that, that there's a lot happening kind of underneath the surface here that's demonstrating that Christ is the Messiah, Christ is God, Christ is the substitution that we need in order to be delivered from our sins and our alienation from God and our exclusion from God so that now we can come as God's people. And, and we can even come to the Lord's table, right? I mean, not only are we... It's not like we just get a corner of heaven, but now Christ actually comes and says, come and actually dine with me, come and eat with me. Okay, so let's rejoice. We'll pray and then we'll uh, partake of the Lord's Supper. God, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this, this, this passage. Thank You for this, this event in the life of Christ. Thank You that this is not just some kind of fanciful fiction story, but that this is something that, that, that actually happened and that Christ, while on earth, was actually moved with this, with this indignation towards... Um, disease and death and this, this, this condition of this man. And Lord, we know that in the same way that, that we are, ourselves need um, your forgiveness and your compassion towards us, we thank you that we've seen that in the gospel of Christ. Lord, we thank you that ultimately, um, like the leper who was healed, we too will die. We too will die in the flesh. We too will die when it comes to our mortal bodies no matter what kind of healing we have, but we thank you that it's, it's ultimately the, the resurrection that changes our condition. It's salvation, it's regeneration that changes our condition from, from death to life, from, from disease-ridden to cleansed. And we thank you that it's not just for this life, but that it extends into all eternity. So thank you for the, for the gravity of all of this, Lord, all of the, the hope of the gospel. Lord, help us now as we come to your table. We pray that you would bless us. We, we pray that you would um, strengthen us through it. Thank you, God, that you come to us in the form of the Lord's Supper. And we pray that you would bless it now in Jesus' name. Amen.